More Like Jesus. That's the title of our series. And like Stephen said, we're going to be going through some chapters in one of the Gospels. The Gospels are eyewitness accounts. Luke's Gospel is the one that we're in. And it's not actually an eyewitness account. It's a doctor um, who gathered together a number of different eyewitness accounts and interviewed people who'd seen Jesus, who'd, who'd met Jesus, who talked with Jesus. And he gathered these things together in order to present an account of the life of Jesus. I believe that this is trustworthy, that this is truthful. If you want to have a conversation about that uh, another time, then I'd be, I'd be very, very happy to do so. But this is, this, this is someone who gathered together information about the life of Jesus. And one of the great things about the fact that we are starting in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and over the next few months we'll just be going through passage by passage, we're not going to miss any bits out, is that it makes it even easier for you to spend a bit of time ahead of Sunday looking at what's coming up. Because it means that after we finish today, I'd encourage you to do this. I really would encourage you to do this because I believe you'll get far more from what is shared on a Sunday if you've spent a bit of time in the passage beforehand. Seeing what it is that God's speaking to you through it. Try to dig out a few nuggets for yourself before coming and hearing someone share on it. So um, there's also a page on our website uh, called This Sunday, which will tell you what the passage is that's coming up. So that's my encouragement to you. But can I encourage you now to grab a Bible, if you've got one, um, or grab your uh, phone or, uh, and Google um, the, the passage we're going to be looking at, because today, in the first of our series, we're looking at a very famous passage, um, which speaks of a time when Jesus was tempted and tested. What I'm going to be talking about today is how to survive temptation like Jesus. And you'll see we're looking at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. I'm going to read it in a few chunks and go through it bit by bit. So starting off at verse 1, we read this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Makes sense. He ate nothing for 40 days, and he was hungry. So Jesus is there in a place of physical need and physical hunger. He's been led there by the Holy Spirit out into this place, and we hear that he is tempted by the devil. There's so many questions that that could raise. But I just want to acknowledge the fact that we all face temptations and testing. Maybe not always quite so dramatically as Jesus in this place, but temptation when it comes to us is difficult. Temptation, when we receive it, when we, when we feel tempted by something, when we feel tested by something, it's hard. It's hard to resist. It's hard to survive. It's, it, it's hard to live with the guilt of the times that we've failed to resist temptation. What does temptation mean to you today? What are some of the things that you might be tempted by? Maybe you're tempted to have more food than you should or less food than you should. Maybe you're tempted to pretend to be someone you're not quite in order to live up to someone else's expectations or be a little bit more popular. Maybe your temptation is around pornography. Maybe your temptation is to use your finances in a way that isn't quite honest, but will have a little bit more gain for you. Maybe your temptation is just to stay up that little bit longer than you know you should. Just one more episode, because right now is far more pleasant than the things I know I'm going to have to deal with in the morning. Maybe your temptation right now, 
for some who are married, is someone who is not your spouse, but who seems really rather lovely. We all face different kinds of temptations. And a question that I want to start with is this question, can Jesus really relate to my temptations, to your temptations? Can Jesus really relate to that? Because, I mean, he's the son of God. He's, he's God. Surely he doesn't face those temptations. He's living on a, on a higher plane. There's a verse later in the New Testament that I just want to read uh, briefly, a couple of verses that I think speak to this. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read, for this reason, he, it's talking about Jesus, had to be like them, like us, fully human in every way, in order, that, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might atone, might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself has suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus does understand temptation. Being tempted for something is not in itself sin. It is not in itself wrong. It's what it leads us to. It's what that temptation then leads us to when we follow that temptation. Jesus was tempted, actually tempted. Not just some of the things that he faced, if we were in his shoes, we would be tempted. Jesus was tempted and tested by these things. Don't underestimate his humanity, but also don't underestimate his, his divinity, his power. Because, what's that last bit said? Because he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The great news for you today, for all of us, is that when we're tempted, we are not alone. Jesus knows, and Jesus is with us. So what does temptation look like? Well, I want to look at a few kinds of temptation, because this passage, for those of you who are familiar with it, you'll know that Jesus is tempted in three different ways. And I want to look at each of those and think, what was the temptation for Jesus? And then what, does, what, what, what kinds of temptation might that look like for us today? So we'll start in verse 3, where we, 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 see, we see temptations around being tempted for ourselves and our needs. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Remember, Jesus is very hungry. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The first temptation that Jesus is, uh, is, is presented by the devil is this thing about looking after his, himself. It's about temptation to do with to do with looking after and nurturing oneself, and particularly the needs that we have, the needs that we feel we have, and, and meeting those. You might think, well, what's wrong with that? What is wrong with that? And in some ways, nothing's wrong with that. I mean, if we're hungry, it's not wrong to want to eat. That's not temptation. That's being hungry. But the thing is, Jesus has been called out into the wilderness in order to spend time with his Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and to draw closer to him in prayer and in fasting. Of course he's going to be hungry. At this point, he's meant to be hungry. And what the devil is saying is, your needs are more important than doing what God has said. Your needs are more, your physical needs are more important than your spiritual relationship with your father. 
And more to the point, he's encouraging Jesus to use his, his power, empowered by the Spirit, to perform miracles in order to serve his own needs. When those, those, those miracles, we know, are, are meant to bless and help others and to display God's glory to the world, not just for Jesus to use selfishly. He's being encouraged on a selfish approach to life instead of one that is about blessing and serving others. For ourselves, what might this temptation of self, of focus on our own needs, look like? It could look like distracting ourselves from things that are really important by pursuing things that we shouldn't be. It could look like being selfish, using the resources that God has given us in order to bless others purely for ourselves, whether that be our finances, our talents, our time, our energy. could mean that we focus on what we perceive to be our physical needs instead of going to God, who we know provides for all of our needs. We say, well, I have this thing and my finances don't cover it, but I feel like I need this thing. And so rather than going to God and saying, God, you provide, if you want to provide for this, have your way, but I'll trust you no matter what. We say, okay, well, Maybe I could do something different with my finances that aren't quite honest and, uh, and, and, and make a way or, or, or put pressure on someone else in order to... No, we go to God first. We trust him for his provision instead of trying to make it our own way. Maybe I feel as though my, my, my sexual needs are not being met and I need to be gratis, gratified, I need to be satisfied. And so I go and pursue that in ways that are wrong instead of going to God and saying, Lord, you alone are enough for me. And in you, I will trust. So the first, needs, the first temptation that Jesus faces are to do with himself and his physical needs. The second are to do with Pride. He is tempted towards pride and towards buffing up his own name. Let's carry on reading. Verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil says to Jesus, look, I can give you everything. I can, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm king of this world. King, not because God has made him king, but king because we people in our sinful nature have decided to follow his ways instead of God's ways. We've given him that power and the devil is saying, if you're willing to sit under me, if you'll worship me, then I'll give you all of that. Of course, Jesus is meant to be king of the world. Jesus is king of the world. Jesus is meant to have that kind of authority, but not by us worshipping him who is worshipping the devil, because then it's going to be all of those worst parts of us that Jesus came to set us free from that he's lord over, rather than lord in the way that he's meant to be. But it's a it's so you can have all of this now. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't you enjoy the praise and honor of other people? Wouldn't your name be great? It's a temptation to give in to pride. For us, that'll be about building our own status, taking credit where actually it's due to other people, desiring praise and affirmation and doing whatever we can do to get it. 
Anyone else tempted by that? Anyone else tempted to live in ways so that other people will like us, regardless of the ways that we should be living? I know I am. I think a lot of preachers are. I can tell you it's really hard to say things to a congregation when you know they won't want to hear it. And I'm sorry for the times that I haven't to you. But we all live with that. We want our own name. We want to be liked. We want to be esteemed. We want power. And the devil knows that that might be a place for Jesus to go, particularly because Jesus deserves those things. They're due to him. And then we carry on, picking up in verse 9, where we come to the final thing about purpose and being tempted to use methods that we shouldn't. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will, not, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is a weird one. <laughs> the devil takes Jesus to the top of this cliff. And he says, if you throw yourself down from there, God's not going to let you come to harm. And in this psalm, in Psalm 91, there's these words about the fact that the angels will come to lift you up and protect you from all harm. So do it. Throw yourself down. People will see it. People will notice this. This will be a spectacle. It will be amazing. You'll be thrown down and all the people around, they'll be talking about it for years this time when this man threw himself down from a cliff and, and he was saved. He did not die. And Jesus says, no, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Because the truth is the method that Jesus was meant to use in order to be at the point of death and death itself and yet still live was not something people were going to be talking about for a, for a few years because it was impressive. It was something people were going to be talking about into eternity. Because the way of the cliff and the impressive spectacle was not the way that Jesus was called to. He was called to the way of the cross, to the way of sacrifice, to the way of letting himself suffer. Not a quick, easy way of making a name for himself but a long, slow, hard, painful way. For us, this is that idea that the ends justify the means. It will get us to where we need to get to, so it's still right to do it. That's a temptation we can all face. Presented with an opportunity to tell the truth or to lie. The ends justify the means. I don't want to cause hurt. I don't want to make things harder, and so I'll just say something that's not true. The ends justify the means. That person needs to know that what they've done is wrong, but, but they won't hear it from me. So I, I might just go and tell that person. I'll, I'll just share a little bit. It's not for gossip. It's just to, it's just to help. It's, it's fine. But no, actually, Jesus calls us to direct conversations with people when we need to. The ends do not justify the means. So these are some kinds of temptations that we might face, but I want to look at it a different way just for a moment, because we will be tempted in our lives, in our weakness. We'll be tempted in the areas where we are weak. 
We'll be tempted in the areas where we struggle, where we feel we lack, where we want something that's not being met. And that's going to be a place that we're tempted. Jesus was hungry and he was tempted to selfishly make bread for himself. Jesus was not weak in some senses, but he had made himself weak. He had humbled himself, and the prince of heaven came to earth and was not receiving the glory and honor due his name yet. And the devil says, I can give it to you now. Jesus knew that the road ahead of him was going to be hard, and the devil says, here you go, chuck yourself off the cliff. There's an easier way. But we're not just tempted in our areas of weakness. We're also tempted in our strengths. I am never in my life going to be tempted to turn stone into bread on a day when I am fasting. Because I can't. But Jesus could. I'm never going to be tempted to use my physical stature to, 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 to threaten people and to get my way by, by, by looming over them because I'm just a fairly normal bloke. But I do have a brain. And it was trained during my university years to debate and to argue and to form something that was, that was not going to be knocked down by someone else. Most of my learning came through discussion and through arguing and through debating. Am I tempted when I want to get my way to force my will through by using my words and debating with someone until they don't have a good answer back? Of course I am. Because I can, not with everyone because there are people who are better at it than me. But we're tempted in those areas where we could use our strengths, not just those areas where we're weak. And actually, what, what I think we find is that there's this overlap in prosecutorial terms. For those of you who are fans of police dramas, we're talking about when the motive and the means overlap. We're talking about the time when there's something that we want and we've got a motive to do something that we really shouldn't. And we've actually got the means to do it. And that strength doesn't have to be big character traits. doesn't have to be things that we're really good at. Sometimes the strength we need is that we've got the piece of gossip that we could share with someone else, and we shouldn't. Sometimes the strength we need in order to sin is the mobile phone, which is just a couple of taps away from something on the internet that we shouldn't be looking at. And in our weakness, we have the opportunity, and that's where we go. That's the... That's the the, the tactic that the devil used with Jesus. And the, the good thing is that the devil doesn't have many tactics. He doesn't have many game plans. We can know what they are. And we can do something about it. So then the question comes, how to overcome temptation? If we looked at something of what temptation is and where it comes and how it works. And as I was preparing earlier in the week and I was praying about this, I really felt that I needed to do something that I hadn't planned to do, which was to look up something of the science of temptation, to look up something of the science of what happens in our brains when we are tempted by something. Bear with me for a moment, if you will, because I want to talk to you about the frontal cortex. The frontal cortex is this, this front part of your brain, the part that my hairline is desperately trying to display to the world, the part that when you're doing a lateral flow test uh, is the bit that you feel like you're tickling. Um, that part of the brain. I've got no more frontal cortex jokes. If you've got any, come and talk to me afterwards. But it's this part of the brain, and this part of the brain is the part that is really developed in humans and is utterly underdeveloped in all other mammals. It's the part of our brain that is responsible for impulse control. 
So where, where most animals, there is an instinct and they will react. It's the part of us that can, can control our instincts and say, I maybe want to do that, but I'm not going to. It's the part of us that regulates emotions. It's the part of us that is responsible for long-term planning, where we can think through consequences of actions rather than just what we want to do right now. And it's the part of our brain that when we're faced with a moral dilemma, goes into overdrive. If you're wired up to a machine that is um, tracking brain activity, when we're faced with temptation or a moral question, our frontal cortex is what will light up and be, uh, be into overdrive. In 2009, scientists at Harvard University did uh, some experiments in order to try and understand what happens when people are tempted to do something that they shouldn't do, tempted to, to cheat. And what they did is they, they, they hooked up a bunch of people to these, to these machines that are monitoring brain, brain activity, and then they got them to, to do something where they were told, if you get an answer right, you'll get more of a financial reward for being part of this test. We want you to answer some things, and it was, it was guessing the outcome of, toy, of, of coin tosses. Um, so if you, if you get the answer right, if you get heads and you've, and, 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 and you've guessed heads, then you'll get more money. But then they gave them an opportunity to lie. They, they, they engineered a situation where there was, a, there was a glitch and where they could record their answers after they knew the result, which led them to have this opportunity to lie and to cheat in order to get more reward. And, and it was done in a way where they didn't know that this was part of the test. And, and, they, and they saw what the result was. Because there were basically there were, there were two competing ideas that scientists had about what might be happening. And the first, they labeled the will hypothesis. And the will hypothesis was that everyone, when presented with the opportunity to cheat, their frontal cortex would light up because everyone, when they have an opportunity to cheat, has to decide whether they will or not. And so suddenly they're thinking about it and they're processing it. They discovered that wasn't the case. Only the people who cheated were thinking about it and their frontal cortex was going. Those who didn't cheat, no activity whatsoever. Those who didn't cheat didn't have to decide not to use their will against the desire to cheat. They just didn't want to. They just didn't think about it. And the reason why this is such a great sermon illustration is that the name that this hypothesis had, look it up if you want to afterwards, by the scientists is the, the grace hypothesis. That actually people weren't resisting temptation by the power of their will, but actually because of something completely unrelated to them, they had the grace not to be interested in the first place. They didn't want to cheat. They just wanted to do the experiment the way that they'd been asked to. What this teaches us is that scientifically speaking, we overcome temptation by means of grace, not our own willpower. Which in some ways is great news, because it means that resisting and fighting and, 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 and trying and thinking ourselves out of temptation we know doesn't work. But the science obviously stops there and doesn't give us any hope of changing that. Basically, it's saying, if you're tempted, you're going to fail. And if you're not tempted, well, hey, you're fine. The problem is that for all of us, there'll be times when that's not okay. If the will hypothesis had been correct, then what that would mean is that if we can train our brains, if we can, if we can uh, go to mental gymnastics and, and force our frontal cortex to be stronger, then whenever we face temptation, we can just will it away. 
Problem is that that's also the part of your brain that's responsible for emotions. So when we're emotional, our resistance depletes. It's also the part of our brain that is responsible for, uh, for, for long-term planning. And so we're, when we're frazzled by plans changing backwards and forwards, like they have been a lot in the last few years, our resistance is depleted. But if we go somewhere else, then we can find something. I want to come back to Jesus' example, because he shows us how we can overcome temptation. And I'm glad that it was named the grace hypothesis, because that's what we need. We need to understand and take into ourselves God's grace over us, rather than our own effort to resist temptation. If we say, the next time I'm, I'm tempted, I will just fight harder to resist it, we might manage once, twice, three times. There'll come a point when we fail. There'll come a point when we don't have that power within us. But if we want to be more like Jesus, then we follow his way. And we see that he didn't just dig deep into his mind and his power. No, he, he found a different way. Two things in particular that are ways in which God's grace gets into us and then out of us. First is the Bible. Each time Jesus is presented with this temptation by the devil, his first three words, it is written. It is written. It is written. His resistance to temptation is because God's word, the Bible, is in him. For him, he had the, the Old Testament. And actually, all he needed was Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8. That's all he needed for these particular temptations. And we might say, okay, so when temptation comes, then I reach for my Bible and I look up too late. Already too late. We can't just flick to the relevant passage when we're thinking, shall I do this? It's too late. Jesus has got this into him. We know from the story of Jesus when he's 12 years old that from a, from, from a young age he was, he was in the temple and he was asking questions and he was being a little bit precocious and he was, he was studying and he was learning. He'd let this get into him. Because by God's grace, God's word will change us. Where science says, if you're tempted to do it, you'll always be tempted to do it. And no matter how hard you try, you won't always manage. God's word says... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says that by grace, God's word at work in our mind and in our heart will change us and release us from temptations that otherwise we are powerless to resist. That's good news. But the other way that God's grace gets into us and then can flow out of us is God's Holy Spirit. How did this passage start? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus is living his life led and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. He's not living it in his own strength. He's living it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first verse after this passage, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, bookended by this phrase that Jesus is being led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You and I do not have the mental, the physical, the spiritual resources to live life well all of the time, but God does. God, by his Spirit at work in us, 
But again, it's not that quick fix. It's not that, oh, I'm feeling tempted and tested and uh, there's this thing, Lord, would you, too late. We need to be constantly, all the time, inviting God by his spirit to be in us, to be leading us, to be empowering us. We need to be soaking ourselves in these spiritual resources. If you're not regularly in the habit of getting your Bible open and saying, Lord, transform me as I spend time in your word, can I encourage you to do it? If you're not regularly praying and saying, Lord, would you fill me? Would you refill me with your Holy Spirit? Give me leading and empowerment for everything that I will face today or everything I will face this hour. Can I encourage you? Do it. If we want to be more like Jesus, that's part of what that means. Means and motive are part of where we are weak and, 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 and will face temptation. What's the final part? Opportunity. The final verse in, these, in this passage. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left until an opportune time. We don't just have to resist temptation once. We'll come again. And we see through the life and ministry of Jesus other ways in which there are, there's needling and there's, there's opportunity and there's people who speak things over him that just aren't true. We need to be constantly alert, constantly on guard, and that means constantly getting the Bible into us, asking God's Holy Spirit to fill us and living, trusting that the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to do the work of God in our hearts and our lives. It's what we see modeled by Jesus. It's not a quick fix. It's not Dave's top five tips for resisting temptation when it comes this week. We need to be allowing God's grace to shape us, and this is how that happens. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you that you are gracious. Thank you that you don't ask us to use our will and our power to fight things that are bigger than we can resist by ourselves. Lord, would you give us the grace to surrender to you, knowing that you and you alone have the resources that we need. So we say in this moment, come, fill us. Come, shape us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.